back in my New York heyday, I used to work for millionaires and billionaires, as Bernie Sanders might say. Some through temp jobs that were long-term, and uh, then a couple of those temp jobs actually became job jobs. And what I noticed is that even though they had different personalities, these, these kajillionaires, uh, they had a lot of similarities and <laughs> the atmosphere that they created, uh, had a lot of, um, unhealthiness to it in, in the same way at two places I worked for. Well, at one place I worked long-term, there was a, um, a coworker who, Believe it or not, even on day one, would just come over and like back his butt up to me and fart. Like if I was like in a corner doing filing or something. And he, he, I guess he thought it was hilarious. Uh, it was like a little brother, big brother thing, I thought that he was trying to do. But you could never tell. He was one of those people who's kind of sadistic also as you get to know him. So uh, this is unacceptable, except, uh, almost like a hazing ritual like welcome to the club kind of thing so i powered through (laughs) and uh because at that point this was my first i think my first real new york job when it since i'd moved there um of anything steady and i couldn't really afford to lose it and as it turned out they were going to pay me uh enough money to make it worth my while to be to be farted upon years later he uh and this is after i left uh, he tried to blackmail the boss uh, by exposing to his wife his infidelity and also to the authorities how he's been cheating people out of money. This was an investment firm. Oddly enough, the boss did not take kindly to that and um, so went to the authorities and uh, they all went to jail together. <laughs> so I guess he would rather they all go to go to jail than... And then the company was shut down. So that must have been fun. I'm glad I was not around for that. Uh, The farters get their due. But this thing of farting, I bring it up because um, it wasn't just this guy. I I worked at another firm where the boss would just sit around farting. It was this open area where everybody was sitting together. And he would just sit around farting as he's talking to people and whatnot. And it's like this power thing, right? This power trip of like, I'm going to do this this taboo thing that people don't like, and you're just going to take it because I'm rich and you're not, and I pay your salary. And then the third place I worked, the billionaire boss uh, would, would do the same thing. Not, I don't think he would do it as like on purpose as frequently, but he would just, you know, felt comfortable enough in his own skin to stand around farting when he needed to. Um, but also like, uh, his son and he, I don't know if he did this or uh, someone in there was like, I'm sorry, this is the gross scatological episode, putting boogers on the wall in the bathroom and just things like this uh, would drop papers on the floor as they walked, would dump out a candy jar full of candy for the one or two candies that they wanted. You know, just um, all of the things that we hear like, um, in the media that they they put on poor people for being like disgusting, lazy slobs, uh, you know, welfare queen, you know, all that stuff that, that we're supposed to think poor people are 
Um, that's actually what the filthy rich are. They are filthy as they are rich. At least it's been my experience that, um, that this can happen. Let's not say all of them, but it seems like um, the easy way to go because at some point you become so rich that you're only surrounded by yes people. Right? So if no one's ever going to tell you no, how easy is it to slip back into being an infant? Um, some sort of infantilism. And that first place I talked about where they all went to jail, um, they were super racist too. Like outwardly, like would make all kinds of racist jokes. And of course, dutiful liberal that I was, I would um, argue with them. And um, I guess I justified staying there to myself, not just because I needed a job, but because um, there are two things you learn along the way. Well, one is that they were always jokey about it. Like they were saying it out loud, but they were still jokey about it. And there's something about being jokey about it where I'm just like, I can't really tell if they care. Like my, my immediate boss at this job was gay and no one was making homophobic jokes. Right. So <laughs> part of, again, part of my naivete back then was like, can a gay man be racist? <laughs> like really? Uh, it turns out. Yes. Yes, anyone can be anything they want to be in this life, right? <laughs> um, so uh, this is who they were. The, but the other point I want to make about like taking it in that situation, because some of you listening to this are probably have been in similar situations where you feel morally obliged to leave a situation that you can't afford to. And um, I mean, unless it's super awful and unbearably, you know, like making you do things that are illegal or that you don't want to do. Maybe you stick it out because at the end of the day, at least this is in your face and you know what this is. So you, you get to know how people think as opposed to them just putting up a front and then behind closed doors, you know, but also in, in the terms of like financial institutions, they're all corrupt, right? I mean, name one that isn't. So pick your poison. You can take a stand against Corporation A and then go to Corporation B and um, they're still screwing you. Or I know people who, you know, rail against corporatocracy and they won't work for big business, blah, blah. But you still have to go to the bank and cash the check from wherever you work. And that bank uh, has a history of atrocities to it, no doubt. So you can't get away from that, that because that is who we are. That is the society that we've built, and that is the society that is um, spread globally. And that is who the Western mind is. That is what thought does. Thought eventually corrupts. It is corruptible. It is corrupting. So better to understand this and understand the world you're living in than to run from it, from it or, or claim that you're above it, but still, I mean, you're still contributing to it. So the thing that I want to impart here is this idea of success. You know, this is a culture that worships success at all costs. I mean, to the extent that a, an alleged, maybe he is at this point, I don't know, but I don't know that he really was when he said it, an alleged billionaire, Donald Trump, who uh, was a reality TV star and a failed businessman, um, and a narcissist and probably a sociopath, definitely a pathological liar. 
he can become president. And he is these things. So don't anybody try to like comment about, no, he isn't. Come on. Come on, dude. <laughs> it's me. It's me. You're, you're talking to me. Uh, yeah, he is. And if you, if you like all of that, well, that's a different discussion, isn't it? But let's not pretend he isn't a problem child. Uh, so the reason that he can succeed isn't just white male privilege. I mean, sure, that's uh, most of it. <laughs> but but the white male privilege thing is chugging along on the coal fires of our worship of success. Uh, cutthroat success. I mean, it takes a certain psychopathy to to be that way, which is, so it's no wonder that business people and politicians, I won't say that they tend to be psychopaths or sociopaths, but sociopaths and psychopaths tend to enjoy those career choices. <laughs> so there's a preponderance, but also let's add, I think from this study I had read, not just politicians in that, but, um, but also radio personalities. So I guess technically I could be a sociopath because here I am believing that my voice needs to be heard, right? Always keep these caveats in mind when you're listening to the voice of a stranger tell you how life, the universe, and everything works, right? Um, but let's carry on with life, the universe, and everything because what is it about success that we, that we worship? I mean, really, it's about freedom, isn't it? We equate success with freedom, financial freedom, the freedom to move about, the freedom from the burden of responsibilities uh, that you can hire others to carry out on your behalf. But again, this creates infantilism, narcissism. It doesn't create freedom. You willing to throw on the shackles of lethargy that comes with the yes men and women that you surround yourself with, you find yourself back in the narcissism of the terrible twos, right? And so... What is this I mean, that we're trying to do that we're blocking out the reality of what we're doing? What is so, so important that we're, we're burying it under this false pretense of striving for success? What is that? Because you never achieve it, right? I mean, we say we want to succeed, which means we want to achieve something, but then once it's achieved, the search goes on and on and on. The quest for more, the greed, the hoarding when it comes to wealth and wealth inequality. But in our everyday poor and middle class lives too, right? Um, every time you get a success, there's, for some people, um, at least a momentary basking in the glow of having succeeded and then on to the next thing. Or... Sometimes we're completely ungrateful or depressed or the process um, of succeeding is not what we thought it would be. It's terrible. And it's only later in life that you can look back and go, huh, God, wow, was I quote unquote blessed? Wow, what a life I lived. I didn't even realize it at the time, but man, was I fortunate. Right? So even success doesn't always feel like success as it's happening because it's not real. So what is it that's, that we're actually searching for? I mean, if we're not searching for an end result, a goal that is actually going to make us feel better or, or fill the hole, 
what is it that we're doing? Are we searching for meaning and transformation? I mean, isn't that really what we're getting at? Right? Because we want the thing. We want that end result that is going to be the transformative moment where our lives make sense or the thing that we've been seeking or fighting for or working towards, striving for, gives us some sort of ultimate meaning and satisfaction. And we can call it we can call it a day. So if that is the truth, and oh, that is the truth, then when we don't understand that and we're actually searching to achieve something, if we really do have a goal in mind of having, of owning, that having, that owning, that goal is attached to lack of meaning. It has no meaning, which is why it's completely unfulfilling once we get there, which is why you can hear rich people complain, even though they've got the quote-unquote freedom to move about because of their money, move about the world, they're still unfulfilled. A lot of people are suicidal, or they drown themselves in pills. Um, you know, the billionaire who would, you know, dump papers on the floor and <laughs> fart as he walked, and he would throw temper tantrums and all of that. He was in therapy. He was, I mean, this was, this was him after therapy, after years of therapy. So even a billionaire has to go to therapy, right? Because he's unfulfilled. In fact, he's regressing. I mean, I imagine that, that when you are revered and respected and all of that, after a while, the reason it gets lonely at the top is because you know you're a false god. You know you're not at the top. And if you're not at the top, and people think you're at the top, then what the hell is life about? I mean, that's got to be depressing, right? To achieve all of your dreams and realize, wait a minute, I'm still not satiated. I'm not happy. And so part of that is that um, it's really hard to be at the top of your game and be interconnecting with people and be in real relationship. In fact, how can you be? You've got yes people. You're not in real relationship even in your work situation. So you're not interconnecting in an interconnecting world. Um, you can't have real relationships with people. You can't live in right relationship with anyone. You're not in right relationship with yourself. And so that disconnectedness is quite starkly the problem for such a person. They know it every second of their day. There's no question until they bury that. And um, neurosis turns to dictatorship if they don't deal with it. But what is this thing about respecting and revering, putting on a pedestal? What is it about that that we want? Is it about living on as a legacy after you die? Like, do we want to be known so that when we die, we're still known? Um, is it not enough to just be known <laughs> in life? We have to carry on. Um, this is what a lot of rich folks worry about, right? Is leaving their 
inheritance to their family, who they're going to leave it to, that sort of thing. But also, how are they perceived publicly? The family name. These things are important. Well, what does that mean? Important. I mean, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about immortality. We want to be immortal. And isn't that the ultimate freedom? At least in terms of how we think, what we, how we imagine through thought. But when we imagine through thought, and when we plot our lives through what we imagine, when we dream big and aspire and then, and then achieve, and that achievement has no substance to it, or not enough to complete us, then at what point does it dawn on us that the whole rigmarole of that is incorrect? That even the language that we're using to describe us moving through life and what we should and should not do is unhealthy. And the unhealthy is always alerting us to a bigger problem, right? The, the un, these unhealthy ways of being. Uh, even though they are problematic in and of themselves, they are also symptomatic of the larger problem, the, the overarching meta-problem, which is we are oneness in denial of oneself. And so oneness in denial of oneself is constantly and consistently trying to replicate that oneness through various avenues, various means. We say all paths lead to the same thing. We'll get there eventually. But no, they're just crazy straws. They're not really paths. And everyone loves a crazy straw, right? Until there's a little hole in it, and then the suction sucks, and then you're not you're sucking in more air than than juicy juice or whatever it is you've got going through that crazy straw. And uh, then you realize crazy straw is not fun anymore. <laughs> And so, what an analogy. That's kind of where we are as a society, right? This crazy straw called Western culture, pop culture, well, it's about to pop. And pop in such a way that we can only hope we'll have the ability to look back and go, oh, what did we do? But we don't know that we'll even have that ability, do we? And what will success look like then? In the aftermath of our demise culturally maybe as a species who knows i'm just saying what does it look like when there's no one left to remember your achievements i mean isn't that silly when you think about caring about people remembering you remembering your achievements i mean how superficial are we that we would give up our lives living our lives right now in the now caring about now to live them for some future beyond our death that isn't going to exist for us and isn't real anyway. A remembrance. Really? How long do you think that lasts anyway? Our legacy. This gives us meaning. Well, it doesn't give us meaning. It gives meaning, superficial meaning, to the mistake we made when we decided to live our lives for the sake of this future, the now be damned. 
can't damn the now without damning the future because they're the same thing. But just try telling us that. And so what does success look like to one who does not care about any of this? One who is unaffected by the lore of wealth, dominance, reputation, respect. That terrible word, respect, that we love to to say as a compliment. Respect. Why is that a terrible word? Because it holds within it the sense of fear. I fear you. I respect you. Something about you is greater than me. It's this elitist, fear-mongering word that we throw around to say, uh, I appreciate you. I think appreciation is the last aspect on the list of what respect is about. So what does success look like to such a one? What do you think? Well, here, I won't leave you hanging in suspense for too long. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as succeeding, even in the now. I know we have that word with the ING, succeeding. But that's not a real word. You can have success, which usually means that you've accumulated a bunch of goals that have come to pass. Um, and you can put that in the past tense. You can say, I have succeeded. So that could be one goal has been achieved or multiple goals. But succeeding isn't something that you really do because you can't know whether whether or not you're succeeding until you have succeeded, right? So in, in sense of obtaining a goal, it can look like you're getting there, getting there, getting there, and then all fall apart at the end. So you don't really know that you're succeeding until it either falls apart or you have succeeded. It either all comes together for you or it collapses and... Uh, you won't know that until after the fact. I mean, think about any sports team that's winning. Oh, they're winning, they're winning, they're winning, and then the other team comes back and they lose. So they're not winning. Turns out they weren't winning. <laughs> um, they were they were just shy of losing. <laughs> or the other way it goes. You know, they're winning, they're winning, they're winning, and then the other team doesn't come back, and so they've won. Uh, the fact that they could win at the end of it makes it seem as though they've been winning all along, but they weren't winning all along. The other team, you know, could have come back and won, uh, stolen victory from them, right? If you get what I'm saying here, I mean, this is a nonsensical present tense action from the point of view of the ever present from the ever, ever present. Now one is neither succeeding nor failing. All just is. All of those succeedings and failings are happening right now. And also happening right now, when one lives in the now, is the feeling one gets from having achieved something, from achieving. Right? That momentary flash of satiation that then gives way to the fact of the matter, which is that you are still empty inside or that there's always got to be this next thing, this next thing. Um, the thing that keeps drawing us into that repetition is that with each goal achieved with each success, there is 
again, unless we're truly depressed and we can't see it until we look back on it and life go, oh, yeah, that was really something. Uh, if we feel it as we're going through it, there is the feeling of completing something, of achievement, right? The feeling of it. But it's fleeting. It's instantaneous. But but it's striking. And so so we keep chasing after it like a high. But that high that we're chasing after, that satiation, that that feeling that we no longer have to strive for anything because we are complete, that feeling is the feeling of wholeness, of timeless awareness. And when we drag a feeling from the timeless into time, We can only experience it in fits and starts. It has to stagger. It has to conform to time. It can't be an ever-present feeling. Now, I don't know how it is in other countries, but isn't it interesting that in America, there is this push to legalize pot. And you can come up with all the the positive and true excuses to legalize pot uh, in terms of, you know, prison populations and... uh, racism and it's good for whatever medical marijuana and all that. We get it. But lost in that discussion, probably on purpose is the fact that we are an addicted society to all kinds of drugs, be they pharmaceuticals or uh, illegal substances. We love getting high and I'm just going to go out on a limb here and guess that our our getting high or getting drunk or whatever probably has been on the increase with wealth inequality, uh, with the destruction of the American dream, that you can work your way up, that you can dream big and achieve your goals. Whoever you are, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and you can be president someday. Um, No, no, you can't. So you can if you're a criminal, if you're a white-collar criminal. Uh, sure, right this way, sir. But, uh, but no. And so as, as that dream of achieving dwindles to nothingness, uh, we seek our high somewhere else. It's no longer in work ethic and achievement and all of that stuff. That's been taken from you, right? So what do you turn to? You turn to... Pot, you turn to something else to make you feel good. To have a substitute sense of achieving. To a substitute sense of satiation and happiness. Of freedom. Of joy, even. And you hear people say it too, right? They say like, well, God, if I got to do this 9 to 5 grind, if I have to have this crappy job that I can't stand, this go-nowhere job, because we don't have careers anymore, we have jobs. Uh, And what is a career? It's um, the dream of advancing, moving up, making more money, having more prestige, a position above people, being an expert, being known. All of that stuff that we just talked about. If that's taken away and you're just like flipping burgers for a living, you're darn well right going to want to get high, most likely, to to, to have to live that life. Because that life doesn't have the joy of accomplishment in it. But the joy of accomplishment, as we've just discovered, also doesn't have the joy of accomplishment in it. It has the fleeting moment, momentary sensation of 
the ever-present case of joy as your being. Incidentally, I suppose you could make an argument that uh, marijuana is a completely different way of avoiding one's life than alcohol. Alcohol, of course, is still the drug of choice for many, but alcohol is about numbing out, right? Purely and simply numbing out. Uh, whereas with pot, people, if they're not paranoid, and even paranoia is a form of creativity, but people uh, tend to feel creative. They tend to feel like they're in a creative process, like everything's amazing and wow, isn't this a great idea and funny and giddy. And when you sober up, you realize the ideas were crap half the time. I mean, some people claim that they're more creative on it. I would say uh, that that's not the case, but, um, but it can be the case. But it, I guess my point is that it can equally be the case that your ideas are crap because the ideas aren't the thing. The, the thing that's happening with with uh, pot is the feeling it's bringing you, right? Which then gets interpreted into how amazing and creative uh, these ideas are. But the point is that it does present something that more than just numbing you out makes you want to take an action, makes you want to be a part of something, makes you want to create, makes you want to do artwork. Makes you want to write a screenplay, right? Whether the idea is crap or not, it brings you to that excited place of doing that a lot of the time. And so, could this be telling us that in an America, in, in an economy that had upward mobility and at least the illusion of being able to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work your way up and become middle management and then management and then president someday... In a world where we believed that, whether it was true or not, and it probably was for a time, but regardless, um, that still is not our truth. It's um, still un an unhealthy way of, of being in this world. And so even the most successful among us would numb out with alcohol. They numbed it out that the fact that their lives were ones of discontent when they should have had everything or they should have felt like they were going somewhere. Now we don't have that. Now we don't have that upward mobility. Now we don't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We don't have careers. At least we don't in our minds feel that we can do that as much as we used to be able to, you know, if you're lucky, you can educate your way there or talent your way there. But most people understand what the economy is and it, and it ain't promoting that anymore. So where do we get that from? If we're not going to sit still and be, you turn to the next numbing out drug of choice, which doesn't just numb you out, but makes you feel as though you are doing something creative and amazing and goal-oriented, right? So perhaps those who don't want to legalize pot because they see it as a gateway drug to other drugs, what they're missing is that it's not that. It's a sign of our times. We don't just want to numb out. We want to numb out and move up in the world. <laughs> we, that's our fantasy. Not just that this all goes away, but that we're somehow deeply and giddily involved in something bigger than us, but that also comes from us. So as we move along in these talks and as we contemplate our lives, let's always keep in mind that the reason we're doing so is because we want to know reality as it is. We want to understand ourselves as we truly are, not because we want to achieve 
that ever-present, timeless, joyful state. If that happens as a result of understanding, fine. If it doesn't, that's fine too. Understanding is everything. And it has to be this way because there is no such thing as success. Therefore, there is no such state as succeeding. There is no ever-present moment of succeeding. So we cannot get to the ever-present moment, the timeless, using the tools and the lingo of time. Thought itself cannot touch the timeless. It can only emulate the qualities of it in antagonizing addictive ways that, like any good symptom, remind us of our disease. And so when we talk about the moment after a success, after a, an achieved goal where we are satisfied and satiated, that moment isn't created by the achieving of the goal. If it were created by the achieving of the goal, it would be finished. It would be whole and complete. So what is creating that, that sensation of fullness for but a moment? It's actually the giving up of the goal. The quote-unquote achievement, the success of the goal, is the giving it up. Is the giving up of doing all of the stuff you've been doing and striving toward. And once that's gone, once the doing has dissolved, there's just a brief blip of being or beingness that washes over us. But it washes over us in the way that the tippity tippity end of the shallows of the ocean wash over one's toe. If we didn't understand the rest of the ocean, the depths of it, or even the deeper shallows of it that could wash over our entire body, if we didn't understand that, we might think that the, the little tippity end just going over our toe feels really great, and we need to keep chasing that. But we don't know what we're chasing. We don't even know that we shouldn't be chasing at all. We don't know that the chasing after the sensations and the feelings and the satiation, the goal. We don't know that all of that is in the way of the goal, the satiation, the being. All of our doing is in the way of being. The experience of being, pure being. Which, of course, transcends and includes all of our doing. But we can't know that point of view, that perspective as a first-person experience and identity as that until we see the futility of the identity that we have now as the seeker, as the doer, as the achiever. One eye open is still half asleep. But as we sleep and as we dream, we dream big, we dream we're achieving, we dream we're evolving and going somewhere. We dream of great success. Some even dream that they've woken up, which they see as the ultimate goal, the ultimate success. But where there is success, there's thought. There's doing. There's duality. And where there's thought, doing, and duality, there is no awakening. There is no timeless now. There is no being 